What's up, everyone? Thanks for checking out this newest episode. Uh, I've been excited to do this one for a little while. This is uh, with my buddy Zach Walton. We've known each other for quite a long time, back when uh, he was working at Impact Archery out in Clovis. Uh, Zach is a very big part of the Pope and Young Club. He's a great ambassador for them. I wasn't all too familiar with everything the club had to do with. Uh, all I knew in the beginning um, was kind of a little bit about the scoring system of the club. And I actually listened to the Pope and Young Club podcast, which Zach hosts, and learned a lot just from the first episode. Um, they're very interesting. I would encourage anybody to give them a listen. They're pretty cool. I think uh, all our hunter friends on here are going to love it. So you can check that out, Pope and Young Club podcast. Um, and we do a lot of shout outs during this episode for Pope and Young Club and everything that Zach's affiliated with. Um, but if you're interested in becoming a member and checking out a lot of the cool events and stuff they do, uh, check out Pope and Young, or I'm sorry, it's Pope-Young.org is their website. You can find them, Pope and Young Club, on Facebook. And if you want to give Zach a follow on Facebook, it's just under Zach Walton, Z-A-C-K-W-A-L-T-O-N. And on Instagram, he's Zach Walton underscore Weekend Bowhunter. And I definitely encourage you to follow him too because he posts some really awesome hunts that he's doing every year. And he's, uh, he's just, like, just like everybody who listens to this podcast, all the people uh, I kind of made this for, us guys who, who either you know bow hunt in our free time and we all have day jobs or we, we shoot target archery in our free time or do both. Uh, I think everyone will really enjoy this one. And thanks a lot. Again, for everybody who's tuning in and listening, I'm blown away every week to see how uh, how many people are listening to these podcasts, and I'm going to do everything I can to keep them coming. Thanks again, everyone. There we go. It should have told you we're recording, too, I think. Uh, may have. I don't know. I don't see it on here, but... Okay. I'll take well, your, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, says I am. So, how are you doing today, man? Uh, good, Cody. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. I'm uh, I, I stumbled across your podcast and uh, didn't know much about it. And, ooh, that's a creaky door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying trying to get it nice and quiet in here, so I don't have dogs, you know, attacking and all that good stuff. So, no, no, I usually have a dog or a kid or someone jumping in on me. So no big deal. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I'm out of town for work right now. So I'm in a hotel room. So it makes it a little easier. Gotcha. Um, but anyways, yeah, I found the podcast and I, you know, honestly, I didn't know much about the Pope and young club and, uh, your first episode I listened to was kind of enlightening. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that and some of your, your hunts and, what you've been doing the last well since i've known you um mm -hmm. so i guess to get started if you want to maybe give your background how you kind of got into hunting and bow hunting more specifically 
Yeah, sure. So it's it's been a lifelong venture for me, really has. And I know a lot of mm-hmm. people say that, but it uh, started, I got my first bow when I was four months old from my dad's best friend. And I started, uh, according to my parents, I started actually shooting that bow somewhere around two and a half or three. I know by my third birthday, I was actually pulling it back and shooting it. It was one of these little red cheapy bows, uh, you know, that, that you get. And I still have it today. It's actually in my trophy room. <laughs> and uh, I've kept it all these years. And so bow hunting in, in archery, it's, it's, it's been with me since the very, very beginning. Uh, I learned learned about bow hunting and, and shooting stuff from my parents when I was a little kid and my parents' friends and family members. And it has just been pretty much my entire life outside of uh outside of my wife and my dogs and my work uh that those all take a lot of time but outside of that it's just it's just bow hunting and mm-hmm. it had taken me places that I never thought I'd be and uh led me on adventures I never thought I would go on and it's I met some great people along the way that I would, would have never met otherwise and uh, it, it's it's I'm grateful for all the different things that bow hunting's brought my way because i i don't honestly know what i'd be doing without it yeah i i hear you there man i you know i feel i feel the same way about hunting and um and you know competitive archery in general i've made so many great friends through that i mean well archery is how i met you to Mm -hmm. begin with you know back when you were working at the bow shop yeah back in college yeah when i uh after i finished pretty much all my all my ma- uh, work for my major, I had one semester left of school, and all I had was just elective classes, and I was tired of doing all the journalism. I got a journalism degree, by the way, and so I'm not, don't really mm-hmm. put that to use too much for my for my actual job, but uh, I, at last semester, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to do something that I actually enjoy, so I went I went and started working the last six months of school at the archery shop there in, in Fresno, in Impact Archery, <clears throat> and it was a lot of fun. Met a lot of great people there, and it kind of uh, really kickstarted off a whole bunch of relationships I still have to this day. And that was 15 or so years ago now, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun for me to be able to kind of uh, step back a little bit from the before I started my actual professional career and, and do a little bit of fun stuff and, and get paid for it a little bit at the time. Although I did spend most of my money on archery stuff while working at the pro shop. So I, I don't <laughs> know how much, I don't know how much I actually brought home. as a net pay at the end of six months. Yeah. And I, I was a, I was a good bit younger than you when, when I met you in there and I was working out at the farm and spending all of my money on, <laughs> yeah, on, on bows and arrows. Yep. Shop. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's just, I got bit by it and, and got addicted and I couldn't stop. But <laughs> Well, that's, that's, that's how you know you got a, a good hobby when, when it kind of takes a whole bunch of your time and you're not, it's not getting you in too much trouble. Exactly. Yeah. I, I have a good story for you too that I, I remembered just the other day when I was, we were trying to set this up. Do you remember uh, when I, I was probably, it was probably over summer when I was spending every day at the bow shop. Mm-hmm. I had to have been like 13 or 14 and and you invited me out to dinner with your then fiance. No oh wife. yeah, yes, yes, and yes, and, yeah, that was back when we were still dating, yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and 
so we're going to the Cheesecake Factory, and you didn't tell me until we got there that it was it was like her sorority's dinner. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you and I were the only men there, and I use the term men loosely for myself <laughs> because I was like 13, just hit puberty. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think yeah. we were hanging out. There's about 12 or 15 of uh, her sorority sisters there from Fresno State, and that's right. That was uh, that was that was. <laughs> That was, that was I thought that was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was pretty funny. Uh, we walked in there and and then afterwards, especially telling all all the girls like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you brought him." I was like, "Well, yeah. you know, and the man's got to grow up sometime, and this is as good as time as any right here." So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I come to, they were probably making fun of me. I remember them mm-hmm. telling me I'm cute or something and trying to sit with them, and then you probably had to pull me out of there by the back of my shirt. Uh, yeah, I think but... it was I think it was pretty much time for us to leave. But uh, yeah, no, that yeah. was. That that was uh, that was a lot of fun. That's one of those one of those yeah. things that uh, I definitely remember. And that was that was quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was was quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, man, um, well, I'd like to get into the Pope and Young Club a little bit, um, and either if you want to give your background on how you kind of found them and maybe take that into what the club is and how it got started yeah so uh when, when i was a again all this goes back to when i was a kid my dad joined pope and young before i was born and uh for those of you who don't know what pope and young club is it is it's the it's the leading bow hunting organization in north america it it stands for a whole bunch of different things it's got a records program it's a conservation organization it promotes fair chase heritage history of bow hunting and then uh, you know also fights for our rights as bow hunters and just hunters in general to be able to pursue that way of life. And having known about that ever since I was a kid, the main draw to me for that was the records program. And I think many people know Pope and Young Club as just a records program. And they keep, they use the Boone and Crockett scoring method, which is the rifle um, conservation and records keeping organization. And Pope and Young would be strictly for archery bow hunting records keeping mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's how what i knew it for growing up and i think most people know it for that today but there's a whole lot more that it does but that got me interested in it as a as a kid i'd i'd look at the record books i learned the scoring system from when i was just a small child how to measure animals and and that was always a big draw to me and uh when i think i was 14 when my dad got me a membership to Pope and Young Club, and that was 22, yeah, 22 years ago now. So I've been in the club for, I, I joke with uh, everybody that's around that I'm the oldest young guy there is uh, in, in the club because I've been around for a <laughs> long, long time with most of the guys that are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. I've been around the same amount of time, but I'm in my mid-30s. So I, I've got to see a lot of things with the club, and over the past several years, I've gotten a lot more involved with it, uh, going to the different conventions that they hold every other year, which I highly recommend if anybody is interested in that. It's it's an eye-opening experience that I guarantee if you go to one, and it's it takes time and commitment because you got to travel, and yeah. it lasts several days, but if you go to one, it will change you your mindset of whatever preconceived notions you had of Pope and Young. The people really? that are there, yeah, the people that are there, are not, not only are there some of the greatest bow hunters in North America, 
um, there that go to this thing. But it's a humble collection of people that are willing to share information. And I tell you, if, if you have any Bohony questions, I couldn't, you couldn't find a better crowd of people to ask uh, than that group you're going to meet there. And everybody's approachable. And you, now on top of that, you get to see all these gigantic animals that have been killed over the last couple of years with archery equipment from all around North America. So it's quite a collection of, of animals and people, and it's a ton of fun. So those, those I highly re- recommend uh, getting to the conventions if possible. So, you know, that was, yeah, that's, 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 that's a go. And in two years in, in 2021, it's going to be in Reno. So all of these guys you got out here that are here in California on the West coast, Hey, Reno's a nice little drive. And you know, there's some casinos there. Everybody has some fun and, <laughs> and, uh, get to meet bow hunters from all across the country. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Cause that's, that's very close. Um, is, are, are these events kind of, um, is it set up like, like a trade show type of thing um, where, where there's a lot of vendors or what, what exactly does it look like when you go? It's, it's kind of all encompassing. Yeah. There, there are trade show aspects to this. There are many vendors. We just did the, um, the one, it was in Omaha, Nebraska about six weeks ago. I was there for that. And there was, Oh gosh, I don't know. uh, 50, 60 vendors. I think something like that. There's a lot of booths, a lot of vendors, uh, all the all the top companies that you would know and recognize from from archery and hunting world, and then they have seminars from some of the top bow hunters around the country, talking about all the different uh, experiences they've had and in giving recommendation and pointers and tips to everybody that is interested in listening to them. Then we have the records uh, banquet, which is one evening that's dedicated to uh, all of the top scoring animals. Uh, taken over the last couple of years and uh, several we had five new world's records that were introduced this year including a gigantic brown bear which was full body mounted there it was unbelievable how big this thing is and uh, yeah it's it's i mean there's all kinds of events that go on to this thing uh, but the biggest thing about it for me is i could see some of these guys that i only see every two years and you know you could sit and talk to them, catch up. You know how's it been? It's like a it's a it's a fraternity of of bow hunting men and women that uh, get together and share stories and share a passion. And you know we also do it. We uh, this this last year we raised quite a bit of money for conservation, which I uh, was fortunate to be a part of, and uh, we we did a pretty good job on that front. Yeah, and that's um, I think that's something so important too because it's it's hard with. Um, I, I mean, hunting alone, it, it, it's already a, a battle, an uphill battle all the time with people. And, you know, it's for me, it's it's one conversation at a time really explaining to people what hunting is and how hunting is conservation. And um, a, a club like this, it just kind of, it, it kind of takes that to another level and, and well yeah what oh. i think it does is i i think i think it really takes it takes what people are trying to say individually and it takes and it brings all those people together in a huge group right and it yeah. says we all believe the same thing we all want to achieve the same goal and we want to share the same message well here's here's a great opportunity to do that as a big group and it takes 
it, it takes a big group in order to push a positive message with bow hunting, with hunting in general. You're right. I mean, there's so many people, especially where we live here on the West Coast in California. Uh, you take a mm-hmm. poll and it's we're, we're vastly outnumbered from from hunters to anti hunters out here in California. So everything that we do it's important to promote a positive image. And the more you do that, the more you get the, it's not the, the anti-hunters, it's the non-hunters that you need to have yes. on your side. Cause that's the huge bulk of the population, you know, that that's out there. And most of them just, they're, they're ambivalent about it. But if you promote a positive message, you know, they're going to be in support of it, even if they don't do it. And clubs like Pope and Young and some of the other organizations out there, they really focus on driving that positive message and making sure that others know, hey, what we're doing is right. What we're doing is part of our heritage. We've been doing it as a species for hundreds of thousands of years. And, you know, this is it's right. And we do it the right way. And I think that's what's what's important, you know, a fair chase. Um, you know, uh, going through and, 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 and doing things the right way. And, and that's, that's a good message to get out to people. Absolutely. I mean, in general, people, you hear, you hear scoring and people mm-hmm. get a negative image from that right away, especially the people, like you said, the non-hunters, who I would say pretty much are indifferent until something goes viral or something happens. Yep that they don't like to see online and then they're not indifferent anymore. Then they're leaning the other way. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot easier to, for, for anti hunters to get that message out in a one-time example yeah. than it is for us as hunters to promote a positive image time after time, after time, after time, right? That nobody wants to hear how, how much, how doing something over and over repetitively well lends to, the greater good of, of, of a species or, or animals long-term. They, they want to hear a soundbite. They want to see a negative mm-hmm. video. They want to hear this rich doctor somewhere did something bad. That's what they want to hear. They, they, right. It's, it's really hard to, to then go, whoa, no, you don't understand all the different good things that have been done in order to promote uh, you know, wildlife in order to grow species in order to improve herds and, and people just, that's boring. I mean, I get it, but yeah. it's, it's important to continue to hammer that positive message because you can hammer that positive message to someone a hundred times. And if they hear one over the top negative thing, that's what they're going to remember. And I think that's what we try to do at Pope and Young and some of these other pro hunting organizations is, continue to promote the positive aspect of what it is that we do and fight off the negative when it comes around. Yeah. And that what's incredible about it too, is, is just what you said is so many people don't know that conservation is, is really behind almost every single aspect of hunting, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, well, well, yeah, if you're not, if you're not conserving, if, if you're not going through some type of conservation to, to save and to improve the herds, you're not going to have hunting anymore. I mean, right. the Boone and Crockett Club was founded. One of the founders behind it was, was Teddy Roosevelt. And yeah. you know, he, he was one of the most prolific hunters of the late 1800s and early 1900s. I mean, the guy did a lot of hunting and a lot of shooting all around the world. 
And when he saw where commercial hunting was going, um, he and and how the animals were being affected, how herds were dying off buffalo specifically, right? That was our big. Right. That was our big focus point. You know, it goes from 40, 50, 60 million buffalo at one point just a few hundred years ago to a thousand or whatever it was. I mean, that's a very dramatic number. But all, many of these species, elk were a great example, white-tailed deer, turkeys. I mean, all of these different things that we take for granted of having so many now. At one point, there were not hardly any of them around still. And if it weren't for conservation, if it weren't for people going and looking towards the future going, if we continue doing this, our children, our grandchildren, their children, they won't have the same opportunities we have. And that's where you got to go, hold on, what do we need to do to make sure that we can continue this down the road? And that's where conservation come in, comes in. But, you know, conservation is not just, it, it's not all we do is save animals because mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't have the, the hunting aspect without conservation and you can't have conservation without hunting. You can't just stockpile animals because they'll get sick and they'll die or the population will overgraze. I mean, there needs to be a balance to thing, and that's where the conservation model comes in. And there's, there's exactly. a lot of good things that we've created here in North America that have led to great success stories when it comes to different species throughout North America. Yeah, and that, uh, that's something... I bring up a lot when I talk to people about this subject and um, you can use New Zealand as a prime example. I've got a good friend there who has been pointing out to me that they're poisoning deer right now because yeah. everything in New Zealand is invasive. Mm -hmm. They don't have enough people coming over to hunt them or enough people there hunting them. And, and it, it's come to that point where they have to poison the animals because like you said, they go together, conservation and hunting. You can't just leave them be and expect everything to be all right. Yeah, you got to have an equilibrium. Everything, there's a give and take to everything you do. And, and I think mm -hmm. that as hunters, the, if you realize that and, and you let other people know, I think that they can understand that. And it's just, it's just being able to convey that message to others that, like you said, they're ambivalent about it. They don't really care. They don't, they don't know and it doesn't affect their daily life. So... Um, you got to be, I always just like to promote a positive image and a good example is uh, many of the people I, I work with once a year, my wife and I, we throw a, a, a deal for a wild game feed for all these people I work with and 95% of them don't hunt. 90% of those people have never eaten wild game. Well, you have 60, 70, 80 people that have never done that before and you throw out a positive image. Hey, look, we cook the meat. This is how tasty it is. They leave going, oh, I never knew. And those are, those are the people that you need in order to go out there and then, you know, proliferate and, 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 and reproduce your positive story to others right. that maybe have nothing to do with hunting. Yeah, and it's such an interesting topic, and, and it's easy to get educated on it. And when you do, it, it makes for a great conversation with people. I find that everybody I have this conversation with is very, very interested in it and how it works. And when I tell them that even something that looks bad, like big game hunting in Africa, you know, uh, like you brought up the rich doctor, well, there's a lot of scenarios where that rich doctor is doing a lot of good there. 
Yeah, actually, I, I've I've met him sp- uh, several times over the years, and um, oh, okay. he you're he, talking about uh, Walt Palmer. The, yeah, 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 from Minnesota. Cecil, and you know what? Cecil the yeah. Lion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know he he's done a ton of good for conservation yeah. and and hunting, and uh, I mean he's he's very well seasoned, well traveled hunter, and a very nice guy. And uh, you know what happened was unfortunate, and I. I I know because I've had really good friends of his that were mutual friends talk about the fact that it was he was very disappointed by the whole situation. Nobody wants anything like that to ever happen when they're hunting. But things not things don't always go exactly how you want them to. And this was one of those great examples where something blew up um, and it just it just it got really out of control. And then there was a lot of misinformation that went out there. I mean, when everything's said and done at the end of the day, he was not in trouble. He he right. didn't get in trouble because everything on his end was fine. But none of that got reported. You know, nobody nobody takes the time. CNN doesn't come back later and go, oh, well, you know, we, we made a mistake on this story that we reported for three straight months. Oh, by the way, you know, it turns out he's not in trouble. It's That's not what they want to go back for. So what do you do? You got to tell the positive story a hundred times just to try to get some traction for the people to hear the negative story one time. Right. And I think that's probably the best example that's been out there in the last decade of how anti hunting really wins out on the messaging versus pro hunting. Right. Right. And well, what else is big is what, what else doesn't get reported is is how many lions, you know, had had to get killed by the government or whatever entity out there because people weren't coming and hunting them anymore and no profit was coming in because people were scared for a few years to go there and try and hunt a lion. Yep, it's 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 amazing. And for, for those that don't have any idea, the amount of money generated in Africa specifically in some of the poorest regions in the world by hunting supports thousands of people every single year. I mean, it's really hard for us to fathom out here. You know, everybody mm-hmm. works hard. Even even some of the poorest here in the United States would be the wealthiest if you took them to these regions in Africa. One guy going over and doing one safari can help support many families. And, you know, that gets overlooked and there was a big fallout, like you said, from people, A, not wanting to go over there, or B, different countries in Africa stopping hunting, putting holds on hunting, yeah. uh, which they've gone back and now reversed because they realized all the revenue they were losing. And what that does to the different things, the poaching went up as you have hunters not wanting to go over there and hunt. Well, then there's not the resources to pay for anti-poaching. So then poaching goes up, and then that lowers the value of the animals because if, if animals don't have any value, and hunter as hunters, we give value to animals, then people are just going to treat them like they mean nothing. And that's, that's when really sad atrocities happen right there, when animals have no value. Yeah, and, and those, that situation doesn't make it to CNN. You're not seeing Mm-mm. how many animals are getting poached or how many animals the government has to step in and kill because, uh, you know, 
they're devastating crops or they're attacking mm-hmm. people because their population is growing and no one's stepping in. Yep. Yeah, you got to have a balance for sure. Right. Um, now, to jump back here just for a little bit on with uh, Pope and Young Club, how how can you kind of how can you lay out for somebody how when they they look at the and think about scoring animals how can you transition that into um into conservation what's the importance of keeping track of of scores and and sizes of animals and locations where they're getting taken so first of all for anybody that's that's bow hunted and taken an animal that they're that they think might be um, record book quality, uh, there, there's a couple of easy. First of all, you need to get online and you have an official measure from either Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett. Meet up with them and then get your animal scored, and then you can have it entered in the book. Now that recording fee. Everybody pays a recording fee, which is, I believe it's $35. I think that's what it is for the recording fee. That goes towards putting, uh, entering the trophy, getting it to a records program. And then portions of that go to a bunch of different things. Some of it go to the conservation fund. Some of it go to uh, youth outreach um, promotion for bow hunting and different things. And then, you know, a lot of that money needs to go into the records program to help maintain all those different things. So that's how you take an animal and then put it into the records program. And then all that money spreads out from there. As far as what you're talking about as how does the records program make a difference for, for hunting as far as, uh, opening up opportunities or showing where mm-hmm. the trophies where the highest number of trophies live in a different area. That, that was really the basis and founding behind the Pope and Young Club way back in 61 is when it started is there were many states. It's hard for us to believe now, but there were many states that did not allow bow hunting. You could not bow hunt. And in fact, here in California, um, when they first opened bow hunting, a uh, legend bow hunter that lived down there and actually outside of Fresno area where you're from, uh, uh-huh. Doug Walker, Doug Walker killed what was uh, believed to be the first legal archery kill animal uh, here in the state after that archery season opened. And he was almost arrested because even the sheriff and game wards didn't even know that, hey, this was this is a viable thing. So oh, wow. when, the, when the when the club started, what it was doing is it was collecting all this data from all across the country and saying, look, this shows that archery is a viable weapon of take and that not only is it a viable weapon of take, it can produce really large trophy class animals, which for the most part, trophy class animals equal older age class, right? So it's saying mm-hmm. that not only is archery... Uh, viable meaning of take, but you can take older animals with it, which is what you're always looking to try to do in, in the wildlife models, right? You want to take out some of the older animals so that the yeah. younger ones will continue to grow and, and then uh, and the population continues. So many states all across the U.S. were started, and, and game organizations started taking the data from Hope and Young 
and saying, oh, wow, look, this is what we can do. This shows that, number one, it can be done. And this shows the viability of our herd in a specific area. And then many of those organizations, then I mean, those uh, wildlife agencies will go, well, this is a trophy area. Let's manage it as such. And then that changes some of the uh, wildlife agencies and how they actually went forward with uh, being stewards of, of their populations within their specific states. So I know it's hard to believe most people listening probably won't understand that. We haven't always been able to do this. You can't just go out and bow hunt anywhere you want. Like you can now. It didn't used to be that way. And Popinong was one of the driving forces behind that. Oh, wow. That's, I, I didn't even realize how, how long ago would you say like California? Um, uh, California was in the fifties. I believe the, that was Doug Walker was in sometime in the fifties when he, uh, when, when he took that first buck there. Um, now there were people that bow hunted in California prior to that. In fact, one of the namesakes of Pope and Young Club was, uh, you know, Dr. Art Young. He was, uh, I mean, uh, Dr. Saxon Pope. He was from here in California and Art Young as well. Oh. Uh, that's the two namesakes for Pope and Young Club. They're both here, bow hunting in California, and they learned bow hunting and 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 how to be better um, bow hunters from one of the Indians here, the last of the Yahi, which is Ishi. If you go back and look at it, he's uh, he was from California too, and that's he was the last of his entire tribe, uh, but he taught them bow hunting. So they they bow hunted in the early 1900s here, but there wasn't even a season for bow hunting. It was just something that they did. There weren't really a whole lot of seasons back then. It was <laughs> controlled a lot differently in the ni- like 1910, 1920 uh, time frame. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, those are all three kind of namesakes to the Pope and Young Club and some of its s- steeped history. And all of that took place in California. People don't believe, people don't think of California as a, as a, hunting state because of right. all the anti-hunters and non-hunters and and, the, <clears throat> and and all the negative publicity we get but there's been a long history of bow hunting here in california and uh you know it's go on the pope and young website and and give it a read yeah i mean that's amazing i couldn't could you even imagine being taught to bow hunt by a native american yeah Ooh. by an actual indian that was yeah. uh that that lived out there and, and did, never never saw <laughs> Never saw anybody completely lived on his own for his entire life until he came out of the hills, literally stumbled out of the hills barefoot uh, when he felt, realized he was the last one left. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You think, you think we, <laughs> you think we learn a lot by, you know, watching Facebook videos and, and, and Instagram stories about how to bow hunt. No, those guys actually had a good education. Wow. So where where can people um, get the information they need with the club, and what what exactly uh, comes with a membership? Is there a, a newsletter or stuff like that? Yeah. So go to Pope and Young website. It's www.pope-young.org. Pope-young.org, uh, or you know Google Pope and Young, uh, and then go in there. That and that gives you information about how you can join as a member. And uh, also, we, we have all the social media pages. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. They're both Pope and Young Club. And then uh, about a year ago, 
I started with the blessing of the club, a podcast. So we have a bunch of podcasts out there now that you can listen to that are just through the Pope and Young Club. And I just volunteered and, and they uh, said, go ahead and, and run with it. So I, I help do a whole bunch of bow hunting podcasts for different members of the Pope and Young Club. We talk about different species out there. I've had uh, guys, all kinds of different guys on there that have hunted all over North America. And uh, there's some good, good information. Like I said, you want to, you want to know about bow hunting. There's, there's not a greater collection of bow hunters you're ever going to find than at the Pope and Young convention. And that happens every two years. So those are all places you can check it out. And with that membership, you, you get, uh, there's a quarterly newsletter, which it's a big color publication that comes out. It's really, and I've written for several magazines over the years and, you know, magazines are a dying breed now. But this, mm-hmm. this publication, the Pope and Young, the, the Ethic is what it's called. It's their newsletter to come out with quarterly. It, uh, it rivals any publication that's out there right now, really, as far as stories, content, um, the, the publication itself. It's, it's very, very well done. And that comes with your membership as well. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of information on that, uh, the different membership status. But, uh, you yeah, go on, join. The biggest thing we do, it's, it's a voice for bow hunting right it's a positive voice for yeah. hunting in general and you know you don't have to agree with everything that the club does or says but everybody can find one thing that they support whether it's the records program whether it's the history of bow hunting whether it's conservation whether it's youth outreach i mean everybody's got one thing they can get behind and for 40 dollars a year or i think is what it is i mean Everybody spends more on that in a weekend Starbucks coffee. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's so important. I think every aspect of, of hunting right now, it, everything just does so much good for conservation, for, for archery, for, you know, for, for whatever love you have for hunting, it, it all contributes. And I've yet to meet, luckily for me, I've yet to meet anybody you know, who's a negative person for this kind of thing or, or, you know, promotes a bad image. And I definitely think people should jump on and look into this. I know I'm going to, and I'll definitely send in a membership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, if, if you're a bow hunter, uh, you, you yeah. should, you should jump into it. I mean, there's, there's no reason, there's no solid reason you can't be a part of it. Um, you know, and, and it, the more the membership grows, the, the better it is, the, the more the message can get out to everybody, right? Yeah, exactly. And you're doing everything, like you said. You you have to you have to keep up with what's going on. It it's probably is very hard that magazines are dying out, but you got the podcast going and you got all the yeah, social we're, media. We're trying a bunch of different things, you know, as 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 just society changes, you know, hunting's mm-hmm. changing with it. I mean it's we were a little bit late to to the party, but you're definitely yeah. trying to get involved with it. Uh, social media, it, 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 with that and, and podcasts and all these different things, you, you reach a whole, a whole new generation of, of, of hunters and specifically bow hunters that yeah. probably don't know anything about it. And, you know, I, I think that we were miss, we have been missing out and we're doing a lot better job as, as a huge group to try to, 
promote that to that generation. And, you know, I'm a little older than your generation, but not a whole lot. So like I said, I'm the, I'm the oldest or the youngest <laughs> old guy that's there. So, uh, I try to, I try to stay a little bit in touch with, with, uh, all the ge- different generational gaps and, and, you know, try to try to keep up with what's going on. And, and there's such a huge draw out there on social media for hunting, uh, and hunting information. I feel that there's, there's just so much, there's so much, I won't call it misinformation, mm-hmm. but there's so much information that's being given out on social media because it's easy to throw out there that yeah. it may not be the best information. You know, in other words, it might not be people from people who have had the amount of experience that I would deem necessary to be someone to really listen to. Uh, and that's just because most of the older people that have been around the block and done this and that, you know, all uh, a lot, they're not the ones on social media talking about all their stuff. And that's what I'm trying to do with some of these, get some of these older guys that on that have been around the world. They have yeah. done, they have seen everything there's to be seen. Well, let's get that message out. Let's talk about some of their experiences and, and get it out to everybody else so that they have good people to follow. Uh, you know, I had Chuck Adams on, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of months ago and, you know, the bow hunting world, of course, everybody knows who Chuck Adams is. Uh, yeah. I had Frank, Frank Noska on just last month. He's the only archer to ever take two super slams, which is all 29 species of North America twice with a wow. bow. Uh, I mean, like I said, these are all Pope and Young members and they're some of the best bow hunters that are out there. So those are good people to pay attention to, to listen to. Yeah, and that that's what I love about everything with social media right now. There's there's you, you can find everything. And like you said, you have to watch, you know, what what you tap into. It's kind of like trying to uh, trying to fix your car with a YouTube video, you know, you <laughs> be wary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and uh it, it's something I come up with with all the time with people just getting into archery or hunting and they, you know, they just want to go online, watch some videos, set up a bow real quick and, and go after it. And I'm like, no, put, put your time into it, you know, know what you're doing, know what you're, what diff- distance you're comfortable shooting at. No, you know, know what you're doing. Just yeah. don't just fly by the seat of your pants and hope it's all good. Well, and most of the time, the people that talk the loudest are not those that know the most. So just because <laughs> someone's out there with a bunch of, uh, you know, posts on social media and videos and, and everything and has a, a bunch of followers doesn't necessarily mean that maybe they're the best authority on a certain subject. It means that they understand social media. And I think those two are very different things. Yeah. Well, speaking of someone who's quiet on social media, you, man, I, and I got to say, <laughs> I've, when, I, when I see videos, and I've seen old pictures way before social media when we were hanging out at the bow shop back in the day, um, I mean, you've, you've gone on some pretty awesome adventures. You've taken a lot of animals, and uh, I kind of want to hear a little bit about that. Um, you know what? Um, well, first of all, uh, why don't you start with with uh, this coming season? What what do you have on the doc? 
it for yourself? Oh, uh, yeah, this year, um, as, as time marches on and, and, uh, and I, I get, I get, I've been really busy with work. Uh, I have a career that, that takes a lot of time. Um, and so because of that, my trips, my hunting excursions over the past few years have kind of changed. I used to do, I used to seem like I used to hunt more, but it was pretty much, I was leaving almost every weekend. In fact, you know, the, the kind of running joke. And uh, if you look at my, <laughs> you know, weekend bow hunter, like that's what I did for years and years because I was yeah. either in school or I was just starting a career. And the only time I could ever get off to hunt was weekends. So I would, as soon as I was done Friday with school or work, I'd leave and, you know, drive for hours to go hunt and, and, you know, just bonsai for 48 hours, every chance I got. And, um, and as time kind of progresses and, and, and my lifestyle changes a little bit, I don't do that near as much anymore. And I kind of save my time for big chunks. So I do a little bit more of the adventure style hunts in the last few years. And this year uh, I got a few adventures planned. I'm uh, in August, I'm going to the Yukon for, uh, I'm going on a a sheep hunt up there in the Yukon for, for Fannins, which is a, it's kind of a, it's a stone sheep for Mm -hmm. Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young, but it's, it's more of a in-between doll sheep and stone sheep. So it's a, kind of a dirty doll as I, as I like to call it um, <laughs> while I'm up there. So I have a, I have stone sheep a tag and, and a grizzly bear tag and we'll, uh, we'll see how that hunt turns out, but looking forward to the Yukon. That'll be 10 days up there in pristine wilderness and, and seeing, uh, seeing if I can't sneak up to something with my bow up there. And, and then, uh, then I'm going to go back to Kodiak Island this year. I, I go to Kodiak quite frequently and, Love it is my favorite hunt for sick of blacktail and doing that again this year in November. And then I got a see, I got a coos deer hunt in in Mexico, and then a mountain lion hunt in Montana during the winter. And then of course, you know, I do hunt here in California. I got I hunt mm-hmm. blacktails up on the coast and and make it a point to spend several days a year hunting up there. Their blacktails have always been my number one and and greatest passion uh hunting yeah. coast columbian blacktails and so i do that every year and now those are more my my weekend bonsai trips now i try to make you know three or four weekend trips a year so if i can it's only about four hours from my house so i, I definitely get up there every opportunity i get when i'm not working or or um, or on these other hunts or or spending time at home with my wife and dogs and that's that's what i got going this year so kind of a pretty full plate, you know, all, all together, you, you know, those, those trips take time and they're travel. So on, on the front end and back end, you got a couple of days each way. And so that's, that's what I got going this year. It should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it sounds fun, man. Alaska has been so intriguing to me. Uh, yep. And, and that's kind of my bucket list thing. You know, I'm, I could probably do, <laughs> if I quit target archery, I could probably do a lot more really awesome hunts. <laughs> yeah, well, if but, you notice, you, know, you notice in the last 10 years, I mean, I, I don't go to archery. I used to go to archery shoots all the time, and I would go to 8, <laughs> 10, 12 a year. I, I did, and yeah. I enjoyed competitive. It, it was a great 
it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the people I shot with, and it was it was a great confidence builder. And I, you can ask anybody that I hunted with before I took up target archery when I was in college and, and there roughly uh, shortly after. Uh, yeah. When I was a bow hunter before then, and the bow hunter I became after that, it changed immensely because I was a much much better shot. Before yeah. I took up target archery, I was. I'd get close to animals and I would blow shots because I was a, I wouldn't say terrible shot, but I was not a good shot. And then the more I worked on it and became a good shot under, and you know, with competition archery, yeah, it's not the same shooting as animal, but it teaches you to be more cool and calm under pressure situations. And that for me, that's the main reason i wanted to do it is so that i'd be better yeah. at when the shot came in bow hunting and it it made a huge difference for me i mean and that i carry that to this day i don't shoot as much but that mm-hmm. confidence and the shot routine and just that that the form and, and i know that when when i come back to full draw i'm not going to miss i'm just not going to miss and that comes yes. from target archery so that's good that you're doing it, but yeah, you know, at some point everybody's got to decide, hey, you know, I really like shooting foam, or <laughs> boy, I really want to go to Alaska, and when you make that decision, trust me, it does not go back the other way. <laughs> uh, I know. That's why I haven't made the decision yet, if I'm being honest. Yeah. <laughs> I joke with, with, with my hunting partner who lives up in Oregon all the time about it, and he's He's waiting every day for me to quit target to, archery. Yeah, to he, jump on the wagon, same, right? Yep. Exactly. Because he's in the same boat uh, as you. He he jumped into target archery actually because of me mm-hmm. um, for for a couple years, and it just wasn't his priority anymore. But you know, I I with him, I've seen it, it just took him to a whole nother level as a hunter and I'm pretty confident it's the same thing you just said that I feel as well. I don't, I don't get a, 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 t- a type of panic or a fear that I'm going to miss this animal because I'm too nervous to make a shot anymore. You know, yeah. it, when I draw on something, I draw on it with confidence and, and I feel good about those shots and it's, it's definitely due to target archery. And, but like you said, I think any, you can do just a year of it. Uh, I think for somebody a year of and and go to twelve tournaments, you'll learn so much. Oh yeah, you know, you'll you'll learn how to deal with that pressure uh, it, a well, lot better, and I, it definitely translates in the field. Well, you have if you take a great bow hunter, just a person that knows how to bow hunt, how to sneak, <laughs> how to stalk, how to be around animals. And you put them, and then you turn them into a great shot. You know, one of the top shots that's out there. What you come up yeah. with is Randy Ulmer. He's one of the greatest yeah. bow hunters of the past 30 years of this generation, of any generation. And he was a top-level competitive archer. Incredible mm-hmm. shot. And on top of that, he's an incredible bow hunter. You put those two together, and you have a trophy wall that looks like his. Yeah, oh, yep, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. So what about so, uh, so so nothing for elk season for you? 
You know, uh, probably get hammered for this. Not do it for you anymore. Well, especially yeah, I get hammered <laughs> for this, especially because my dad. I grew up, you know, my my dad is a self-professed uh, alcoholic, so he <laughs> loves okay. elk. I mean, he he has he has loved elk ever since he hunted it for the first time, which I believe was like the year after I was born or whatever. So, for thirty-five years, he's been an elk junkie, and that's what he gets. And I've been on some elk hunts. And I've killed some elk, including last year. I killed a, a nice Roosevelt elk in in Oregon. Oh, but okay. uh, and, and I hunted Arizona. I was on one of the probably one of the best elk hunts you could ever have, and it was great while I was doing it. But elk just, I just don't feel the way about elk as I do about deer or mountain hunts. And at some point, maybe I'll sway back that direction as mm-hmm. I, I get older and I just, you know, I don't have the energy or drive to climb a mountain. Um, but I, I, I do them and I enjoy it. And, and while I'm doing it, it's a ton of fun. I just don't mark it out on my calendar every year like many, many, many people I know. So yeah. uh, for me, every single year, I got to have multiple deer hunts. And by but I mean multiple species of deer you know there's five in north america and Mm -hmm. and i gotta have a mountain hunt of some type whether it's goats sheep um you know even i even consider kodiak in some ways to be a mountain hunt yeah you're not you know you're going every every day you're climbing up mountains and you know i come back to the shore every day for for nice hot meal but uh you know there's there's a physical aspect to it and and, you, you know, even, yeah. uh, even a backpack, uh, you know, high alpine mule deer hunt, like that's a mountain hunt. You know, that can be a mountain hunt. Uh, there, there's lots of different elk in many ways can be a mountain hunt as well. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. uh, I, I just, those are the things I want. I want a backpack mountain hunt and I want multiple deer species hunt every year. And then, you know, at some point you run out of time. <laughs> yeah. So that's about as much as I can fit in every year. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want everything, seasons do overlap, you know, so mm-hmm. you're, you you can't have it all. But yeah, it, for me, it was um, it was the backpack hunting side these last few years and jumping into elk. And I think the two just worked together for me really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I took a crack at Idaho and yep. struck out, um, went back during rifle season was lucky enough to take a buck but then uh last year i took off up to oregon backpack hunted elk for uh 10 days and i mean had the time of my life man it we got into them every day you know we put so many miles in and just a lot of work and it was a blast and i I didn't shoot anything, but man, I was happy as hell with it. And I can't wait to go back this year and take a shot at it again. Well, see, and you know, things like that are, are great to hear. And I think so many people that are out there right now, especially on uh, your new wave medias, your, your social medias, your YouTube mm-hmm. videos, et cetera, that gets lost on them. It's, it's usually all about, I gotta have, I gotta have the kill. I gotta have the trophy photo. I gotta have, you know, there's gotta be that instant gratification. And, you know, that's, that's not what this should be about. Um, you know, like you just said, you're yeah. 10 days, 10 days back, back country bow hunting with a buddy, you know, that 
it's it's an awesome experience and you know i've been fortunate to to be able to arrow quite a few animals over the years but my the most fun i ever had on a hunt was a 10-day backpack hunt in alaska for brown bears and i didn't kill one and it was the best <laughs> i was with a great group of guys you know you know some of them sean my buddy sean and and don yeah. and, and jay from alaska you know um it was it was an incredible hunt the, this experience and we saw two bears in 10 days and i gotta tell you backpack <laughs> hunts in october in alaska sleeping in a tent um it's not the most fun experience that you can have a lot more people probably really enjoy the beach in hawaii but that group <laughs> just a little chilly that time of year oh, it was I, I woke up with some frozen boots on more than one morning um, my water my water bottle frozen because i didn't keep it inside the sleeping bag so you gotta boil oh. ice to have coffee and oatmeal in the morning yeah good times good times but that that group uh, I just had so much fun on that hunt, and I didn't. I didn't tag anything. I did not kill a bear, and uh, you know I'm gonna go back and do it again. Got to, yeah. I got to try it again, and it's gonna be an awesome experience. And I'm gonna come back with frostbite on my little toe again, but that's all right. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was. It. You know that hunt. I will remember that more vividly and more romantically. And then I will many of the other hunts I've had where, especially the ones I was by myself uh, and I killed something and I killed some nice mm -hmm. animals by myself, but those won't stick in my mind the way that that hunt did. Yeah. I, there's something to be said about the adventure of it. When, when it's all said and done, even, even going home empty handed, you know, I, I drove home from Oregon last year and that whole drive, I was just so amped up because I was just thinking about, you know, how, how much work we put in, how much yep. hiking was done, how tired I got, and, you know, how we'd hunt sun up to sundown and, and just sleep as soon as we got back and do it again. And, and you think about how you're doing something that, that probably 90% of people out there aren't even capable of doing. Yep. You know, I, I come home, I, I'm on my way home calling the old lady saying, hey, put on something sexy tonight. I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. You know, and, you, and... you feel a whole <laughs> level, a whole nother level of manliness mm -hmm. doing this kind of stuff. It's just, it's, it's an adventure. Yeah, yep. it really is. And, and so many people don't get to experiencing it. And, and uh, I'm just feel blessed that I do. And yeah, well, like I told you earlier, you know, when I got into bow hunting, what it is, what it means to me. Well, I, I mm -hmm. honestly don't know what my life would be like without it. And I don't know what other people do in their lives to get to get that type of, I guess, fulfillment out of different things. And, you know, they probably look at me and other guys like you and I that do this and they don't understand what it could possibly be a draw for, you know, wait, hold on. You want to go spend 10 days without a shower, sleeping on the ground. Sounds terrible. You know, why not just go to Hawaii? Well, to me, there's, there's, there's not even a comparison in, in, yeah. in the gratification I get out of the two. I've been to Hawaii. My wife and I have a great time when we go, but 
it's different for me the feeling I get on the mountain. And uh, that can't be duplicated for me anywhere else. Yeah, and, and man, that feeling, you know, I, I was thinking about it last year saying, you know, it, I, I'm feeling such a high for weeks after I came home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time you talk to somebody who's who, who's not a hunter or, you know, if you have a, a job in an office where people aren't too familiar with it, it it's it's fun to have that conversation with someone and watch their jaw drop when you explain to them that you slept, you know, in a tent. <laughs> miles from your truck for 10 days and and hiked every day and just and worked to Mm -hmm. to chase these crazy giant animals the elk for me you know and it's really cool and and i would you know if i was out a thousand dollars last year for tags and license i would pay five thousand dollars for that feeling again yep to do it again yeah yep absolutely and you know that's that's the benefit of, of of being involved in the outdoors is you don't have to shoot something to have right. a great time. You know that's the culmination of a bow hunt. We all want that quote unquote ending, uh, mm-hmm. and that's that's what happens at the end of a successful bow hunt, as defined by many people. But you can have a lot of successful bow hunts that don't end with shooting something, but that's, that's something we all try to do. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, there's progression as, as, as we hunt, the more we hunt, you know, from that early stage, I have to kill something. I have to kill something, uh, to then, you know, you, you kind of refine your approach and, you know, you go after more of the trophy quality animals right whether that means just older age class or that it means big bigger antlers or horns or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and then you know at some point we all settle into the uh, the reflection period of our of our hunting and that's where we we really enjoy the time that we have out there regardless of what it is we're doing or, or how successful we are and you know if if anybody can can shorten that that early window you know the where you have to kill to be happy if you can shorten that time period you're going to be a whole lot happier and a whole lot more successful as a hunter if you don't put any pressure on yourself to be to kill and just enjoy it i i gotta tell you i made that decision um about 12 years ago that i'm not going to be stressed out if i don't kill anything I'm just going to go out and do the best, you know, enjoy the moment I'm in and work hard every day yeah. to make something happen. And it changed the way things happen for me more dramatically than becoming a competitive archer changed my shooting skills. And, uh, yeah. and it, it was a, it was a big deal and it's, it's been, it's provided a lot of meat in the freezer ever since then. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's been my primary focus for a while, and that's another reason I'm kind of on that elk route and I'm tr- with the time that I have. You know, I really want to mm-hmm. fill the freezer up. Um, but, yeah, that I, I think it's a big combination. It's a combination of, of the adventure and the kill yep. that 
that gives you that feeling. And I thinking about how, how high I was leaving empty handed the feeling I would have had if I did harvest an elk would have been, I, I couldn't even imagine. And you know, the, like I, I make fun of myself, but you know, I've teared up every animal I've shot out of mm-hmm. just pure happiness and excitement and, you know, everything that went into the, went into the hunt and to get to that moment. And I think if I didn't feel that anymore, I probably wouldn't be interested in hunting anymore. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know? there should, there should be, there should be some type of, uh, well, we're all goal oriented people, right? So yeah. your goal is to achieve a lot of things on a hunt. And one of them is to, you know, kill an animal. That's just one of the reasons we're out there. Don't, you know, there's a lot of Instagram pictures going around of sunrises and sunsets and how amazing and how spiritual this is. And it is, but we are bow hunters. We are trying to take the life of another animal. Like that's, that's what we're out there for. One of the reasons we're out there. So that's a part of it. And we want that. So when you achieve a goal, there should be some type of recognition. There should be some type of celebration in whatever way it is, mm-hmm. whether they're smiles, whether they're laughs, whether they're high fives, hugs, their tears, their a beer. I don't know. You know, maybe all of them, maybe all those things. Yeah. There should be some type of recognition of achieving a goal. And if for people to say that you shouldn't do that, I think that that's, I think you're missing out on a huge, huge part of the human emotion there, right? We all, right. We're, all, we're all happy when we achieve something that we want to do. Why not show it? Yeah, it's, it's, easy, it's easy for people to think something bad if they see a picture online of you smiling over something, but, but they don't realize what went into that and what you're actually feeling at that moment, you know? Yeah, I, it, I, I smile every single animal, every single photo I've ever taken with trophy photo. And... It's, yeah, I'm happy, but, you know, also it makes a way better photo. Uh, Like, am I mad? Am I mad that I killed this animal? No, not at all. Like, that's what I set out to do. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to enjoy the moment. I, you know, worked hard to get it. Uh, You know, two years ago, I killed a sheep in the Northwest Territories on a 10-day backpack bow hunt. I, I don't even remember how many miles we had to go. And on the last day of this thing, it finally killed a ram. And uh, I mean, that was, I'm on the top of a mountain, hundreds of miles from civilization. And I had a big, huge grin on my face for that photo because that was, (laughs) I mean, that was a serious experience. And you talked about, you get to do something that 90% of the other people out there won't get a chance or opportunity to do. I got to do something that 99.999% of the people won't get an opportunity to do. And you think I'm going to be stoic or, or saddened by it? No, I was very excited about yeah. that. And you should show it. I mean, there's no, there's no reason you shouldn't show that emotion. And yeah, hell, I hope I get to do it again here in a few months. Oh, definitely. I think too, if people saw that, the, like a live reaction right after it happens and just see the 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 
expressions and experiences that someone like us goes through in those moments and you see it in someone's face, you know, it, it shows, I think a different story and, and not, not necessarily what you see on some of the old school hunting shows, but I think if, if someone saw pictures of that moment of just what you're taking in, in that moment, it's, it's huge, man. Yeah, and it's and and those photos aren't staged. They're not the recreation no. afterwards where I got my. I make sure that I get my, you know, my product sponsor um, logo just right in the picture, or, or you know, it's those. If you have a third person there capturing everything as it happens, then it it makes a. Those are real legitimate moments. That makes a huge difference. They're not staged photos. You can tell the difference of a staged photo or something mm-hmm. that really happened, a raw emotion that was captured on film, or this, in this instance, f- photograph. And uh, there's, there's no substitute for that. The problem is, is when you don't hunt, when I mostly hunt by myself, yeah. or, <laughs> or if, I, if I'm required at like Canada, I have to have a guide, always in Canada, um, mm-hmm. as a non-resident alien, and Several species I hunt in Alaska, you have to have a guide. So, uh, you know, I have those for that. And some other places I've been on guide hunts before. But most of the time when I'm right there, uh, I can't, you know, the guides aren't usually right by my feet. They're, they're hung back a ways while, you know, I get to go do my thing. So um, yeah. I do have one photo of, of something like that. I was on a bison hunt two years ago um, in Montana, a f- real wild, free-ranging herd uh, up there. That's not a, it's not a ranch. It's actually on the Crow Indian reservation where they're completely, um, wild. And my dad, I took my dad with me on that hunt and uh-huh. I was with a, a native Indian guide. Cause you have to have, again, had to have a guide on the reservation and, you know, he's back behind me a ways. And my dad just so happened to be up on the hill behind us about 300 yards away. And he had my camera and when I shot this buffalo, he's taking photos, and I didn't even know it until I got back home and processed the photos a week later that he had snapped like a whole run of photos of me shooting it and the animal. You can see the, the buffalo fall over, and then he's got a picture of my guide standing up, you know, giving like the, you know, the, the thumbs up sign and, you know, he and I hugging oh, and, wow. and all this stuff. And, and I didn't know any of those things were happening until I got back. He didn't even tell me that he took those photos. And... So those are, you know, th- those got to capture the actual moment when it happened. It wasn't, it wasn't a stage thing. It wasn't after, after uh, kill production deal. Um, and yeah. those, those photos I, I've got, and uh, you know, they're, they're pretty raw. Oh man, that's awesome. That's so awesome. I, I, I think back of some of my moments and wish, really wish I had a photo to look at again. Of- mm-hmm of that moment. Cause yeah, like you said, it's so raw and it's can't describe it. You just can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part, part of why you do what you do. So, yeah. Now, um, I, I got to call you out on this a little bit here. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you've, I, I know you're very busy and, yep. and time is probably an issue, but, so you've got Pope and the Pope and Young podcast that you're yep. doing. Now, I'm assuming you haven't been writing as much with nah, no. <laughs> magazines kind of dying out. 
Yeah, so, not as much as I used to, no. I think we need a weekend bow hunter podcast. <laughs> you, know, just, you know, you know, the you're, funny you're thing is so well spoken. I think you should just, you know, you should do some of what you would have put on paper before and yeah. and given to a magazine. I think you should definitely do some of that. Well, the, you know, the funny thing about that is I have a really good buddy, Peter, and um, used to shoot tournaments with him. And when I lived down that way, uh, his his wife and my wife, we were all pretty close and still hang out with them a lot now. But mm-hmm. he told me probably in 2000, boy, seven or eight, something like that. I mean, a lot more than 10 years ago. He said, you need to start a podcast. And I told him, <laughs> I don't I don't even know what a podcast is. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't even know what that means. He's all, no, trust me. This is the thing. This is going to take off. This is a deal. You should do that. Because at the time I had a, you know, I had a website and I'd write articles for magazines and I'd post mm-hmm. stuff. This was pre, this was pre Instagram, and even really, I mean, Facebook was around, but it's not like it is now. So, yeah. uh, it was way, way, way before everything. And I told, Nah, man, I'm not doing that. I don't even know what that is. That's that's not what I want to do. And um, you know, hindsight. Peter was right. I should have started a podcast, but uh, no, I'm, I appreciate that, but I, I'm very happy. I'm very happy doing, doing what I get to do for Pope and young. I think one of the yeah. things that, that it's, it's lost on certain people um, is, you know, doing something just because you want to help a cause, right. A, a thing. And, yeah. and I believe in the Pope and Young Club, I have ever since I was a kid. I don't agree with everything that they've done in in my tenure there, but mm-hmm. I don't believe I don't think anybody does either. But I believe in the, the the message. I believe in the cause, and if I can help them and help promote bow hunting and get that message out there, then I think that that I think that that's a that's something something to be proud of and something to be happy to be affiliated with, and. Yeah. Boy, I can hardly find the time with everything else I'm doing to put those episodes out. So I guarantee you, I won't have, if I had my own podcast, (laughs) it'd be like two episodes a year and uh, that would be about it. So uh, I think, I think what we got going on right now is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, because I know, I know you would get addicted if you're doing something that's a hundred percent genuinely just what interests you. Yeah, like, like you're writing, and I thought I always thought a, an amazing podcast for hunting that you don't see. I I've yet to see anywhere is somebody talking through a, a hunt, like like an article, you know, in yeah. an old magazine that everybody read, and. Yep. Just just telling the story and, and keeping people intrigued, you know. Um, yeah. There, there's a lot of cool hunting podcasts out there that are very informational. And you can learn a lot. You can learn about products. You can learn about techniques. Um, but something like that, I think, could be really cool. And I'm just saying, I think you're the perfect person for it. <laughs> well, you know, I might... <laughs> I might have to take that idea and steal it and run with it a little bit and do some special podcasts for the uh, Pope and Young Club. You know, maybe there's some. There you go. Maybe there's some old uh, passages from, you know, 
um, Saxon Pope and Art Young that I can read on some of their adventures through yeah. over the years or Fred Bear. You know, you put it into like a short form podcast and, you know, read their stories. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to work on my Fred Bear voice and then, you know, really get that <laughs> to go out there. But you know, I think that that's a good idea. You, you, I mean, that's what's on many of the podcasts that are out there, non-hunting. That's what they do. They, they tell a story, right? You're talking about it. yeah. it's not that's not always the interview, the back and forth, which I do find entertaining as well, as long as people are talking about something I'm interested in. But there's I think that there's a place for that. What you just talked about is having a story that's produced, you know, one person with maybe some quote drop ins or, or different you know things in the background. But that's a production value that I don't know how to do yet on on the, on the podcast. I can barely click a record and a post button. Well, so <laughs> I'd have yeah, to, fair I'd have to step my game up a little bit there. I'd have definitely going to have to call in some help <laughs> for post production. That's so. that's why I told you I don't I I just straight up record these and yep. and don't really edit or anything like that. And it, that's just because I'm I I claim nothing with this podcast i'm not claiming to teach people i'm not claiming anything like that i'm just i'm talking to people i'm really interested in and and have questions for and stuff like that and recording it no all it is is it's entertainment right that's what podcasts are so you know you talk about something entertaining and give people something they want to listen to and and uh you know you go from there uh yeah so how do you know i find I find stuff, I find bow hunting entertaining. So I want to talk about that. I want to listen about that. And, you know, I think yeah. there's a lot of people out there that do the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, man, I I really appreciate you coming on here. I don't want to eat mm-hmm. up too much of your night tonight. I know you've been working all night already. So um, real quick, too, um, where where can people follow you at as well? I know we already shouted out the Pope and Young stuff. Yeah, um, no, uh, make sure, make sure, you know, get a chance to go check out these Facebook and, and Instagram page of, uh, you know, Pope and Young Club, and then also the website. It's a lot of good information there. And it's, it's definitely a, a worthy organization uh, to be a part of. And then as far as myself, um, it's my I'm on, I have a Facebook page, Zach Walton. It's Z-A-C-K and W-A-L-T-O-N. And then uh, I'm also on Instagram. And that's Zach Walton, uh, what is it? Zach Walton underscore weekend bow hunter. There you go, weekend bow hunter okay. plug. And uh, I have a website, weekendbowhunter.com, but I have not honestly updated <laughs> that in probably two years at this point. You know, but it's got a lot of my old stuff on there. I used to write a lot and post a lot of stuff, and I have links to old articles that I wrote for different magazines and some old adventures before, uh, before I got kind of tied up in, in websites kind of went away anyways, but, uh, yeah, you know, um, you can find me on any of those and, and some solitude mountain out in the middle of nowhere many times. Yeah, man. I, hey, just when you, when you come back this year from, from your hunts, I do just record an hour of, of something or you post some more stuff. I want to see more for sure. Cause you go on incredible hunts that, you know, not a lot of people get to go on. And I love seeing what you do post when you do. So yeah. I, would... I probably should do more of that. Uh, I'm just be, I'm just not very good at it. 
you know, I, I, I'll go, I'll go weeks, sometimes months and not post a single thing. And, and then yeah. go like, Oh yeah, that's right. I, I guess I could share something. It's not that I dislike sharing things. Obviously, you know, I, I like to write stories. I like to share mm-hmm. photos. I just don't think about doing it on social media that often. And maybe I should. Maybe maybe yeah. people need it. Somebody bugs me, and maybe I'll throw some up every once in a while. I got some, I got a few photos laying around, some pretty decent critters, and some cool places I've been to over the years. Yeah, there we go. I'll bug you. Don't worry. There you go. There you go. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, uh, enjoy the rest of your night, and thanks again for coming on and talking with me for a while, man. All right. Thanks, Cody. Hey, great catching up, man. Good luck to you. All right. You too. Thanks.